Yes, yes, y'all. Before we get to this week's episode, I want to shout out everybody who checked out last week's episode with the one and only Curtis Blow. These are the breaks. Let me tell you, man. Curtis is a hip-hop historian, a hip-hop legend. Uh, you know, it's so many things that that gentleman is. And make sure you put that on your to-do list if you haven't listened to it. Before we get to this week's episode, I want to put you on to a couple things. You know, I always tell you, Internets, I appreciate you worldwide on the check-in. We have people internationally and in the States all over listening to the Premium Pete Show. Tell a friend to tell a friend. I always tell you, listen, okay, rate, subscribe, leave a comment, tell a friend to tell a friend. But I also tell you to open up your Twitter app, open up your Instagram app, at Premium Pete, at Premium Pete Show, and check the fuck in. Let me know where you're listening from so I can shout you out. Okay, let me know what you're listening to. What premium Pete show is your favorite or who you want to see on a premium Pete show. Okay, don't 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 feel scared or nervous. Do you want social shoot that at premium Pete at premium Pete show. Okay, I always tell people all the time. I always try to spread love. Okay, because that's where you should be. You don't want to be one of those people being complaining or being toxic. Separate yourself from that bullshit. But here on, on Twitter, at Premium Pete and at uh, Instagram, I put up something the other day. I wrote, don't let the success of others discourage you from your own endeavors or make you bitter. Okay? Let me say that one more time. Don't let the success of others discourage you from your own endeavors or make you bitter. You don't need to do that, Internet. Don't be bitter. Be better. Okay? And before we get into this week's episode with the legendary Stretch Armstrong. I mean, Stretch, let me tell you something. We go over everything, okay? The beginning of, you know, how Stretch got started, Stretch on Bobito, DJing, what it's like to be a DJ now in, in the current state. I always admired Stretch, not only for being like, you know, keep in mind, like, Combat Jack Show was very inspired by Howard Stern Show, Stretch and Bobito, Star and Buck Wild, you know, but what Stretch and, and, and Bob did for hip-hop you know, more just the culture, man, was amazing. So I was like, yo, I got to sit down with Stretch. And I really just got to pay homage and let people who listen who may not know who Stretch is to know of him, okay? He's a, definitely a figure, another piece of the puzzle of this thing we love called hip-hop. And, uh, man, I don't even have to say no more, Internets. Happy holidays. Shout some blessings. Tell someone you love you love them. Fuck with the Premium Pete Show. Go back in the catalog. Okay? Internet, I present to you the one and only, the legendary Stretch Arm Strong episode of the Premium Pete Show. Let's get to it. Cheer. Yo, what's up, y'all? This is Fat Man Scoop, the undisputed voice of the club, the two-time Grammy Award winner. Let me make this official for you. Fat Man Scoop, Cork McClan, Internet, it's time to go with my dude, Premium Pete. Let's get focused. Let's go, Internet. Let's turn up one time, Premium Pete. Come on, everybody, get set. Let's go. It's the next episode. It's the Premium Pete Show. News, interviews, all of the info. Listen up. It's the Premium Pete Show. If you want the scoop in the low, down low, listen to the show cause milk said so fuck what you heard better act like you know it's the premium pete show welcome back to another episode of the premium pete show finally getting a chance to sit down here with the one and only okay and i gotta say it sometimes people don't deserve it okay but i won't say it if they don't deserve it <laughs> the legendary stretch armstrong dj stretch Armstrong. i mean there's just multiple things we could call you a world traveler right a dj club dj but more importantly, I will say, and we'll let you say some things about you, but I'll say you're a game changer. Oh, I thank you. 
First and I haven't foremost, heard that one yet. No, 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 definitely a game changer because you think about it. It's like when you think about Stretch and Bobito and you think about, and we'll get to all those things, but when you think about the show that you guys were doing and, and the artist that had a platform, I mean, some of the most favorite uh, artists of, of, of the world today. I mean, and, and I don't think there's anyone you can name that didn't come up to the radio station when you were doing, doing Stretch and Bob. I mean, it's just, you know. Well, the, sh- the show was in the 90s, so of course you're talking about artists that popped off in the 90s. Sure. There are a lot of a lot of 80s legends that came through the show, but many that didn't. They didn't have to. But it was cool when guys like G-Rap sure. and Craig G and Cool Keith and Ultra mm. would come by the show, mm. uh, even though... In, in, in the case of some of them, they didn't really have to. Jungle Brothers, Tribe Called Quest, mm. Wu-Tang. Well, no, well, when Wu-Tang, you were Wu-Tang popped off in the 90s, 90s so, yeah, so the they, 90s. they needed to come up. Yeah. yeah. But, but when you think about it and you look back on that shit, did you, do, do you ever say like, holy shit, we had some memorable moments, man? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't say holy shit anymore, cause, um, but I think when, when Bob and I um, made the documentary... Mm. about our which was about great. our show for those that don't know and there still are people that don't sure, know I, sure, I'll bump into don't. people in the street and, and I'll be like you know about our movie they're like nah what's that you know about our podcast nah what's that like, <laughs> um, the film is uh, Stretch and Bobbito Radio That Changed Lives um, it came out in 2016 it's actually still on it's on Netflix it's on Netflix and Showtime still um, uh, yeah doing that film and, and sort of revisiting our history was was quite illuminating and at times I was able to sort of step out of step out of uh you know that familiar space sure. and look look at it as an outsider and be like damn that's crazy who the hell was keeping footage at that time were you were you smart enough to know yeah, that yeah. to take I mean, pics I and had, videos um I had a cousin that would come up with a little camcorder um I had a friend <laughs> um I went to Columbia with um my friend John Limpert he he would come up with uh, with a like a one of those big super SVHS camcorders. Things are like fuck yeah, yeah. like cinder blocks <laughs> on put, your shoulder. Yeah, they put your shoulder to, to, to although yeah. his, although his his footage uh, was lost unfortunately because he had crazy footage. Um, yeah, there, you know various um, aspiring filmmakers and videographers would come up and shoot. Um, and we were lucky enough to, to get our hands on the footage. Um, in some cases we found some footage during the making of the film that we had never seen before photographs as well. Um, there's some incredible color slides of like, there's like DMX in 1990, Mm. um, mob deep as poetical prophets as, as teenagers are like 15 years Mm. old, 14. They look, they look like babies. It's crazy. Um, Buster would like, you know, He's he's twisting his head his hair to to, to grow sure. dreads, sure. like one inch twisties. Um, who else? Akinelli with Nas. Mm, mm. Um, yeah, just a lot of amazing footage was was unearthed in the making of the film. So the uh, documentary is is still available on Netflix, um, and also the podcast for people who don't know. Right. So we screened uh, Stretch and Bobito Radio that changed lives for. Uh, NPR in DC at their headquarters, and we did a uh, we did a Q and A, which was uh, it just it was one of those great Q and As where Bob and I were really funny and informative and and really engaged with the crowd. And after that, uh, after that Q and A, 
NPR brass thought that we'd be a good uh, a good fit for um, for the NPR ecosystem and the sure. things they're trying to do. They're trying to diversify their listenership, get a a younger viewership uh, listenership as well. Um, and uh, after our first season, we we learned that. Um, that our show, it's a podcast called What's Good with Stretch and Bobito, mm-hmm. is the most diverse show in the NPR ecosystem. Really? The most. Wow. Yeah. And F- FM and podcast. So you're doing seasons, right? You're right. on You're on season two. That's right. right. Uh-huh. And, and, and who's somebody guess you had on season one? Uh, season one, we had Stevie Wonder. Mm-hmm. We had uh, look at this. Look at this shit, Regina King. Talk about Mahershala it. Ali. Chance the Rapper, uh, Run the Jewels. We had, uh, oh, this guy, Dave Chappelle. Forget about it. Um, Yo, actually, let me stop you for a second. Rosie Perez, <laughs> Hayes, Mr. Cartoon, mm, mm. Uh, Hill Harper. God, do you need um, to go any further? I need to stop you. You know why? Linda Sarsour. Stevie yeah. Wonder. Stevie Wonder. I mean, like, talk to me yeah. about that. Like, on, have you ever met Stevie before that? No, no, I hadn't. Now, Bob had because Bob, you know, he used to do this party. Sure. Uh, wonderful with with Spinner. Mm-hmm. Spinner still does mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. How's Spinner feeling, by the way? Is great, he, great. Okay. I saw Spinner uh, last week out in Bed Stuy. He was doing the Michael Jackson tribute with Spike Lee. Um, it's okay, Stevie Wonder. Yeah, Stevie Wonder was. I mean, it's funny. I I didn't really talk that much in the Stevie Wonder episode because. I kind of want to give wanted to give Bob that full sure. lane because that's his guy, sure, right? Sure. So I was like, what, "What would be the equivalent? Like, if if Bob and I were like sitting with like Joe Strummer from the Clash, sure, sure. I'd be like, Bob, I got this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Come, coming in and out when I'm tired. But it was amazing. Um, but uh, he wasn't in the studio with us. He was actually in his studio in L.A. But he had his electric piano, which was connected to the board, so he was. While he, we were interviewing him, he was playing songs and singing to us. It was, it was pretty amazing. Mm. Um, I would uh, suggest to your listeners that they listen to that episode Absolutely. because Absolutely. it's a it's um it's a really intimate interview with uh, with Stevie Wonder and and Spinner was there as well. He was in the studio with us, um, and I think it's a unique unique episode because you know Spinner is very close to Stevie and his family. Bob is so uh, knowledgeable about Stevie Wonder, so it's a, it's a really interesting perspective from two guys that that know Stevie well, mm. um, and I think that that kind of led to a, a an interview that is, I think, pretty unique. Would you first and foremost call yourself a DJ? Right. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So, so you know, it's funny you bring up Spinner and DJ Spinner. Uh, you know, uh, definitely a legend with the Stevie Wonder party. It's also another party. I feel like he does. Uh, besides Prince, maybe is it that he does? Or? That's my Prince versus Michael Jackson. Yeah. I mean, he. Yeah. You know, listen. I mean, those are some New York City parties, man. Spinner is is definitely a, a, another one that's been in the game. Uh, uh, a, a legend in his own right. Um, you know, but more importantly, when you bring him up, it made me just think of something. You know, DJ man, uh, nothing. There's nothing without a DJ, and I know he was. Uh, so he suffered some medical uh, issues. He got. I he, had, he had a, a appendicitis. Yeah, I, I think was. Uh, I don't know. If, I don't know if it burst or or what happened, or he had an infection. But yeah, he was hop- hospitalized for for a minute. And I know yeah. the uh, there was a there was a lot of support for him. Uh-huh, yeah. Um, and what he was going through, and you know, it made me realize when I seen the post about him. Um, you know how DJs. You know, it's like. You know, they, they they give people a chance to forget about their problems. 
you have people with a chance to forget about their bills, forget about to, to think about it for a moment, right? You know, and uh, you know, you guys don't have a pension. You're not with a fucking local union 1080. There's no shop steward. Not yet. You know what I, mean? <laughs> I, 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 I one day wish that that would be true. Yeah. For DJs, honestly, yeah, sure. I, I one day wish I wish somebody would have did that that they have a union because, you know, and and the reason why I asked you that for is, have you all these years? I mean, you're what is it thirty? Uh, talk to me about how many years in the game. Oh, I started DJing professionally in, whew, I think eighty nine. Fuck. Yeah. Okay. So we're, I mean, and of course, but let me put a little asterisk on that to say I was teaching professionally in 89. That meant I was getting, you know, like 200 bucks to play mm. for six hours mm. at a club. Very happy to do so, mind you. Mm. The, to have the opportunity to actually DJ in a nightclub when you're like 19 years old in New York City, when not everybody was a DJ, that was crazy. Mm. Well, you know, have you, in your later age of DJing and just also, besides being a DJ, just being a creative have you thought about ways to set up for your life after you know because there is no 401k for you there's no pension there's no yeah but I mean you know I've I mean I don't want (laughs) to I mean I do other things other than DJ and and the beautiful thing about that is um, it has allowed me to be more selective about the DJ gigs that I take it's not my only source of income so I don't have to just say yes to everything I kind of uh, I want to do gigs that that mean something to me, like the party I do with Clark Kent, D Nice, Rich Medina, and Tony Touch called the Originals. We got a monthly party here, and and we've been going out of town with that as well. And that's just fun. We happen to make money doing it, um, but it's just a great time sure. with with four guys I've that I've known, yeah. known since way back in the day. Um, yeah, but I mean, I own real estate. I've 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 been involved in publishing. Um, oh, you have your own book too, right? That came out with a book. That's right. You um, and Mister, uh, what's his name? Arby? Evan. Evan. Well, yeah, yeah. 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 I, I like Evan. Man, I'm not trips. <laughs> You're like I like Evan. Let me qualify that. <laughs> you know, I do. I do. I do like. Yeah, him. Evan's a great dude. Yeah. Um, what, and what, what is that about? The book. Oh well, I, I, we're jumping around. Okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. Where were you? My. Yeah, and no, I was just saying. You know, it's. Um, I think. I think. Um, you know, we live in a time when, uh, where it's it is important to diversify. It's sure. important to, to get your hands on different things, just because, um, you know, you can't be, you can't you can't rely on one source sure, of, sure. of income. Um, I mean, I never have. I used to work for record labels. I used to do freelance A and R, um, do some production. Um, so I've always sort of done a bunch of different things. I've I've done uh, music supervision for. Uh, for for movies, um, uh, and uh, yeah, so more than the DJ. Well, the DJing has been the constant. For sure, I've just I've always DJed, and I think you know when I was like thirty years old, I was thinking, okay, I've got to sort of figure out how I'm gonna how I'm gonna you know transition into something else, not really imagining that you know I would be. A forty-year-old DJ, but then I became forty, and I, and I was thinking like, "Wow, this is, I'm having more fun DJing now than I ever had in my life." Mm. So, you know, and and of course, DJing is a is a it's a relatively new phenomenon, right? I mean, the first time club DJs even did their thing was what in really in the seventies, sure. mix, mixing records. So, it's within our lifetime that the idea of a DJ, the concept of a DJ, has even existed. So. There were no people, you know, no DJs ahead of us 
sort of writing the rules, right? Like who who are the oldest DJs? You know, they're they're still alive. Like the the first DJs are still alive. So who's to say that you can't be a fifty year old, sixty year old DJ, seven year old? I mean, if you're if you have an audience and a and a point of view and and you do your thing, like there's no re- there's, there's nothing to say that you you shouldn't be doing that. Sure, for a long time. You know, you, you go by the name of Stretch Armstrong. Where, <laughs> I, where did that even come from? Is that from the figure? The from the yeah, yeah. It's from like the. I mean, it's it's a doll, and I, I guess it was a, a some kind of a comic book figure mm-hmm. as well. Um, well, for me, um, when I got on the radio, I didn't have a DJ name. Mm. I was just Adrian. You had none. You I was just Adrian, Adrian. Adrian B. <laughs> for a minute, they called me Skinny Bones because I was even thinner yeah. then than I am now. And, um, you know, I, I felt like I needed a radio name. And um, some friends were calling me Stretch, and then I added the Armstrong because, uh, you know, it was sort of an ode to that tradition sure. of of hip-hop DJs that have taken on names of superhero characters and comic book characters like like Clark Kent, like um, Plastic Man, like sure. Richie Rich, sure. et cetera. You know, so where did you grow up? I grew up on 96 in Madison. Mm. So it's from the city, New yeah. York City. Mom and dad? yeah. Yeah. Well, what, no, my mom's from my mom's from Poland, actually. Okay, but, but you no, know I'm saying you grew up with mom and dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh, and, yeah. And, and and what did mom do? Uh, my mom was a social worker, um, but mostly, um, I, I don't think she would ever consider herself a housewife because mm-hmm. you know she'd help my father um, somewhat. Um, my parents traveled a lot, really, so I felt like she was always organizing trips on vacation. <laughs> Why didn't? I- uh, vacations, yes, but they were they were more uh, more so sort of leaning towards sort of cultural discoveries, mm. like going to Papua New Guinea and meeting people in tribes that have like never seen white people before. Really, that kind of thing. Yeah, that's crazy. What yeah. did Pop do? Dad, he's Pop still alive. He's an art dealer. Oh, nice. Um, when I was born, he was an artist, literally a painter, trying to paint, and then. Um, Eventually became uh, an art dealer, which was what he's been for the last 40 years. You know, you obviously had, you know, even you mentioned it, you had a bunch of different jobs throughout your life. When you wanted to become a DJ, did mom and pops probably get what the fuck you're doing? No, no, no. I mean, uh, my parents have always been very Um, open-minded. There's been a a sort of a, a long legacy of people in the arts in my family from uh classical music orchestra conductors to jazz pianists uh and producers to photographers to um composers uh a lot of art in my family so uh it's in my blood it's in my dna um i was going to columbia here in the city and after being at Columbia for about two years, um, I really just wanted to pursue music. And my father told me, he said, you, you don't have to go to school, but you got to get a job. Mm. So I got a job working for Craig Kalman at Big Beat Records. Craig's mm. the, the uh, chairman of, of uh, Atlantic mm. now. When he had an independent record label, I worked for him. And that kind of allowed me to be downtown and, and uh, go to nightclubs as... I could justify going to nightclubs because it was my job working sure, at sure. a record label. Um, spent a lot of time in, in record stores, downtown records, downstairs records, uh, rock and soul back in, you know, 89, 90, 91, 92. 
What's, what's the 93, vi- 94, 95, 96, 97. <laughs> what's the vinyl collection looking like? You still got a big vinyl collection? Yeah, I've, I've, I've reduced it quite a bit, but I've got my records. They were in storage for about 10 years, but I moved to, uh, to Brooklyn to get more space, and they're out on their shelves, and these are the shelves I've had since like 90, 94. It's crazy. So, yeah. Were you an only kid or you had brothers and sisters? I have an older sister. Okay. Yeah. And uh, close with her? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. She's in music too? No, 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 no. She's just raising a, a gang of kids. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you know, Stretch, for, for 30, almost 30 years, uh, at least 30 years, you've been DJing. That never stopped. Now, you did multiple other things, but that never stopped. You know, is your body function like fuck the fuck up? Like honestly, I mean like <laughs> my body function. Yeah, yeah. And what I mean by that is like premium is your, P P yeah. H no yeah, M D not yeah. PhD. PhD yeah, M D. Yeah. Well, I guess what I mean is your body. You know, from working at night like that. Like man. I mean, the the only abuse that my body has really taken is my ears. Um, <laughs> That's true. I never yeah, my ear, think my, of that. my hearing has suffered a little bit, um, but I try to protect my ears now so they don't get worse. Um, the uh, invention of uh, laptop DJing, you know, Serato with turntables was a game changer for me because uh, carrying crates of records really was hurting my spine. And, you know, even if I had people helping me, you know, I, I just wasn't that dude that's not going to carry records while my boys sure, are. Sure. That, that's lame, sure. right? But um, I think I had a curvature in my spine at one point, which I got corrected. Um, but yeah. Uh, no, I'm 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 healthy. I'm I'm thin. I eat well. I exercise. Do you like so you sleep during the day a lot or you no? Know? No, I, I I don't DJ every night. Okay, this this is uh this is middle aged man life. I DJ <laughs> you know middle aged stretch once or twice once or twice a week. And, sometimes once a week. Okay. Sometimes none during a week. It just depends on on what's offered and and what's worthwhile and what's paying me what. Uh, sure, that you want. What I want, yeah. You know, you spoke about being uh, in New York City. You said, you know, when you just came up and, uh, you know, you were DJing a bunch. I mean, you, I remember you saying uh, like five, six nights a week, easy, you know? Yeah, at one point in the 90s, I think uh, it was like 94, 95, I looked at my calendar and I had DJed 19 nights in a row. Fuck. And you're talking, this is, this you know, this internet age when it's all about, um, you know, five DJs on a bill all playing for 45 minutes. Back then it was, you were the DJ. Yeah, so the you got night, there, yeah. there was no opener, there was no closer. You got to the club at 10 and you finished at 435. Mm. Mm. That's insane. Playing vinyl. You know, you know, you even think about like, uh, when we speak People about- aren't, they're not built for that. No, it's, these, it's, these, the new digital DJs, they, if, it's a different breed. Yeah. Different breed of DJ. Yeah. Is there, you know, when you were growing up, was there mentors that you had or even people that you were inspired by as far as oh, DJs? I mean, of course. I mean, you you wouldn't become a DJ if you weren't. Sure. Um, I mean, the first DJs that really, really blew my mind, I went to school, I went to UVA for one year before mm-hmm. I went to Columbia. And there was a DJ on campus uh, named Spinbad. Not not the Spinbad mm-hmm. that's active I know now. I yeah. He was a black brother. Name Spin Bad, and he did all the all the black fraternity parties um, at UVA, and I would go to all those parties just because a lot of my friends were, you know, Charlottesville is where UVA was. That's sure. obviously you know a a 
a town whose reputation has been um, mired by the events that happened last year um, with these uh, neo-fascists and sure. neo-Nazis. And, tiki, and, uh, and the, yeah. exactly, the Tiki bros. Yeah. So um, it was uh, it was interesting when that popped off because I had left – I left UVA largely because I felt like the – the segregation there was just really something that I didn't want to be a part of. I had my white friends and I had my black friends and, and they were two different worlds. Um, but when I hung out with my, my black friends on weekends, I'd go to the, the frat parties with them, the, the service fraternity parties, the black fraternities and spin bad was the DJ at all those parties. And he just got so busy. He was a really talented dude. I don't know. Um, if he really tried to pursue DJing beyond that, I don't know what happened to him. Um, but I gather he's not active since he probably would have been upset with, um, my friend Spinbed taking his name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there would have been, there would have been. Don't get me wrong. This, the Spinbed that's active now, my friend Spinbed is one of the illest to have ever done it. Um, and, uh, an, another DJ, um, that's really influential for me from that time when i was in 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 virginia was frank ski Mm. he would come down and do he wouldn't do the uh the parties at at in uh at frat parties he would i mean they'd have to rent out like big like rec halls for him because so many people would come out to see him he would just get busy i think he's still on the radio in in dc or baltimore i'm not really sure um, but he he's Frank Ski originally is a club DJ that played all genres and got busy. Then uh, coming back to New York, I mean, even be- actually before I went to to UVA, I was already going going to clubs downtown. So guys like uh, Frankie and Glazy and and Jules, who were you know really the you know like the OG downtown DJs, sure. um, uh, DJ Basil and. Of course, my you know my my big bro um, and someone who I look up to probably more than anybody as a, as a source of knowledge as a DJ and as a friend is is Clark Kent. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean he he is a, he is a, a walking uh, almanac. Yeah, that, he's if that makes sense. I mean, he, in every and you know what I like, you know what I love about it. I mean, he's passionate. He's super passionate. I mean, there's a lot of people who are passionate. But so, so I feel like, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that he's very, very passionate about. And if you get to know him, and you know this, tremendous heart. Yeah, uh, he's, yeah. He's, uh, he's, he's a great man. He really yeah. is. Um, and, I'm, and I feel lucky that, that, that he's – we've actually gotten closer as we've gotten older. But I, I met Clark in, in I think, 89. Um, I was DJing at Mars. Mm. And um, he was uh, – was it 89? Yeah, it was. Um, started DJing professionally I didn't I didn't know any other DJs cuz you know I'm I'm a white kid from the upper east side there were no DJs there to meet so I met Clark at Mars he actually approached me and asked me who I was I think he was sort of he'd see me around probably noticed that I was hawking him pretty hard when he, <laughs> when, when he was DJing like I was that dude yeah, kind of yeah, like stand, yeah. trying to see what he was playing right the, the whole yeah, yeah sure trying to read the records you got to have your head spin you know spinning with the with the vinyl so you could actually catch it um and um and uh and then of course you know you know as as I would go out more Kid Capri once he started DJing downtown at the building I was completely in awe of of what that man was able to do with a crowd and how the destruction that he would unleash on you know 
2,000 people. He's nasty. He's nasty. Total control. Total control. You, you know, you know, it's crazy too because I feel like um, little Louis Vega. Uh, yep, yeah, man. Um, Tony Humphreys. Mm. Yeah. What's what's what about today? Is there? I, I know it's a different game, and I know it's. Um, I guess I would, you know, have to say it. It, it, it felt more. Uh, and correct me if you feel wrong, but this is my. It felt more underground at that time. It felt, you know, now you know. You see the, the masses embrace it. Um, yeah, sure. I mean, DJ culture was was underground culture. It's it's um it's mainstream culture to a degree, uh, where the to to the degree that that the average person that's into music is, you know, they like DJs. They like clubs. I mean, club culture is mainstream culture right now. You go to a you go to the typical club in New York City or or Vegas and whatever, and you're going to hear popular music. And you know, a lot of people that you know maybe in the 70s or 80s would have been going to see bands are now going to to clubs to see very popular DJs. But the the really real and the guys doing uh, you know progressive um, cutting edge stuff they they remain underground. Yeah, it's still underground. So it's almost like there are two worlds. There's like the mainstream DJ sure. cultural world, and then there's the the underground club world, which still exists. Um, and I guess there is a little bit of uh, give and take between between the underground and the mainstream. Some guys graduate from the underground. Some guys want to stay in the underground. Sure. Are there some younger DJs that you like? You know, like uh, that have been around. You know, obviously younger than you. Yeah, um, there are. I'm not always so good at at recalling names, but. Um, I love uh, my man DJ Moma mm-hmm. and kind of what he represents and the scene that he has helped um, grow. Um, Ellie Escobar is mm-hmm. not young; he's young to me because he came up kind of, you know, through the show. Uh, you know, lived on Bobito's block, um, but he's somebody that has has really. Um, I just really like where where he's gone over the, like the last five sure. plus years. He's been really been recognized finally as a DJ artist, um, which is great to see because he's just ridiculously talented. So, as a producer and a DJ, so I've got to talk about him because um, that's like you know kind of like a he's a peer, but also kind of like a little brother. So I'm really, sure. really happy for what, for what he's been able to achieve. Um, yeah, there 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 there's always going to be new younger dudes that are that are doing great stuff. Um, and being recognized for, for the merits of of their their work. Yeah, I feel like you know we uh, are in a, in in a world where there are some people who uh, really respect uh, the people before them, um, and then there's some people who just you know do their own thing. But from your you know when you sit back and think you know has it been all love for you for my like, even like younger DJs yeah. younger people? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean that's special. I mean the, the the great thing about um about social media and there's plenty that's that's bad wrong, about social media. Yep, yep. Um but you know it 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 just allows for connection and um and and it also allows people to I mean the internet allows people to to, to you know do research and to learn about things that would have been more challenging to learn about, right? I mean like when I came up in uh in the early 90s um you know i couldn't go on youtube and 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 look at like kid capri djing in in the 80s or clark djing in the 80s or 
or you know even taking it further back to see like you know the real forefathers like you know flash and dj hollywood like mm. there, was, there was no such mm. thing as seeing those guys and True. what they were doing were whereas now yeah. you know even even with what we did there's a lot of a lot of youtube audio of what we were doing on the radio not so much in the clubs but i mean my, my point is it's uh a a young person can learn a whole freaking lot from from the internet now sure. and Faster. and for those that are that have that curiosity um it's all there and now you know some don't have that curiosity and that's that's fine too you can you can exist in a vacuum and in your own bubble and be incredibly creative and and have your own vision Nothing wrong with that. You know, before we went on air, um, I was uh, talking to you about, uh, you know, when you and uh, you and Bob uh, had the radio show, you know, um, I'm surprised that you guys never like had... Actually, we, we actually opened with that, but uh, you, sorry. You well, sp- we did open, no. Well, I mean, we talked about the radio earlier. No, no, yeah. but meaning about, I'm surprised, I, I think this was off air, correct? I feel like we're, we're doing a lot of rehash stuff here that, that well, we, you and I never kicked it, yeah. so, but, yeah. um, and for those that... Um, know all this history? <laughs> you can fast forward. <laughs> yeah, no, no, but but I mean, I'm surprised nobody uh, was like having you headline shows because that industry didn't exist back then. You know, I feel like when when the all right, so back in the 80s and 90s, right? Like hip hop had a really bad reputation in New York City in terms of concerts and parties, right? Like concerts and parties were getting disrupted by violence they were getting shut down they were getting banned right it was like you want to do a hip-hop party here no i don't think so like it took a lot of convincing that's why uh jessica's party jessica and and uh and chris lighty and flex their run at the tunnel mecca on sundays was so remarkable because of the longevity but it it also took uh, club owner peter gation Mm. Um, who really believed in the party, believed in the importance of that party to New York City, to the culture, to the scene. And he really, you know, he backed it up. You know, it was like, okay, so there have been issues with violence at hip-hop clubs. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to hire 200 security guards. They just overwhelm the party with security and make it safe. And that's what they did. They they did what they had to do to make it happen. And a lot of other clubs, you know, weren't, able, weren't willing to do that. Sure. They would just rather just, you know, close their doors to hip-hop um so um you know it it wasn't until i would say probably post wasn't i mean sure there were there were things that like at uh there were parties at tramps Mm -hmm. that where you saw the the uh you know the, the first seeds of of uh of a successful sort of concert industry around hip hop that really came came into prominence in the two thousands. Um but by then Bob and I weren't doing a radio show together and and around that time like Bob and I, you know, in different ways we were more into into DJing and, and whatnot and it was less about um about sort of what we had represented in the nineties. We were kind of both reinventing ourselves sure. in different Bob, ways. Yeah. Sure. Um and yeah, and um, you know, I kind of, you know, when I when I stopped doing Hot 97 in 2001, I kind of in some ways I disappeared for a while. People that were people that had been following me from the radio um didn't know what happened. And you know, those were the early days of of uh social media with MySpace and whatnot. Um 
But uh, but if you check my MySpace page after I stopped doing Hot 97, you really wouldn't know what I was doing or where, where I was. I kind of really wanted to just push a big reset button and kind of have some time to just sort of figure out what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So I kind of I kind of disappeared for a minute. But I was still DJing in clubs. So if you were downtown in New York City or, you know, in some of the clubs that I would get booked at in Japan and Europe, you'd, you'd still know who I was. But but just because of the nature of, of radio in New York City where you've got this massive plat- platform through Hot 97, I would have to think that a lot, the majority of the people that knew, knew me then from the radio. So when the radio show went away, they, they didn't know what I was doing. Mm. Makes sense. Listen, you know what? Let's take a quick break. Sitting here with the one and only DJ, Stretch Armstrong, going down the journey. We're we're rehashing. We're starting from the beginning. Listen, sometimes you bounce around. Rehash Browns. But yeah, but sometimes you bounce around, Stretch, but the journey gets told when the journey's inspiring. All right. Internet's not going nowhere. Be right back. It's your boy, Brooklyn's finest, New York Giant God's favorite DJ, Clark Kent. You are listening to the Premium Peach Show. Pay attention. This episode of the Premium Peach Show is brought to you by Skillshare. Let me put you on to some info right here. Skillshare is an online learning community with over 20,000 classes in business, design, technology, and more. You can take classes in social media marketing, data science, mobile photography, creative writing. You name it, they got it. So whether you're trying to deepen your professional skill set, start a side hustle, or just explore a new passion, Skillshare is there to keep you learning and thriving. Let me tell you something. I'm signed up to Skillshare. I'm fucking with it. Ain't nothing wrong with ever trying to learn, okay? Internet, you don't become perfect just by seeing it on social media, okay? You got to take the time to perfect your craft. That's why I mess with Skillshare. Join the millions of students already learning on Skillshare today with a special offer for a premium P-Show listeners, that's right. Get two months of Skillshare for just 99 cents. Do you want, Wait, internet. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's right. Skillshare is offering premium Pete listeners two months of unlimited access to over 20,000 classes for just 99 cents. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com forward slash premium Pete. Again, that's Skillshare.com slash premium Pete to start your two months now. That's Skillshare.com slash premium Pete. Thank me later. Cheer. No, I'm just saying it's fucking crazy when you start thinking about uh, life, man. You know, like, <laughs> it just asked me about my 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 MySpace top eight. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fucking. Yeah, no, so, it just made so, me think, bro. No, right? so to give you a sense, right? So 2001, I leave Hot 97. Mm-hmm. I think my top eight on MySpace around 2002, three, four. It was like maybe even 2005. I, my my years aren't good, but I know that that when at MySpace's peak, my top five was like Ed Banger mm, mm. out of Paris. Busy right? P. Busy P. Mm-hmm. Um, it was Fake Blood, mm. who was a, a DJ that that his hip-hop bonafides are, are top-notch, but then started making really incredible dance music um, in the 2000s as Fake Blood. Um, so it's Fake Blood... Uh, Ed Banger, probably my man, my man Omar Doom, Carmen Electra, um, <laughs> the Mike B, who's a DJ in uh, in LA, and I can't remember anybody else. Damn, I don't have any screenshots of my of my uh, that would be my classic. Top five. That would be classic stress. It would be classic. Top five now. Oh, I mean, it would be Clark Kent, mm. 
Um, I mean, be all the originals. Originals. So that's, D nice. That's that's four right there. D nice. Tony, Tony Touch. Clark Rich Medina. Um, yeah, it's it's impossible. It's impossible to do, right? <laughs> Yo, when you, when you think about it, right? You know, obviously, I told you you're a game changer. You know, and uh, you know, you think about um, you know what you both did, but also what you have done. You know, when is the first time you met Bobito? I mean, this is this is all in our film, Stretch and Bobito, Radio That Changed Lives. I was, uh, I'd been playing in nightclubs professionally for less than a year. Um, this is eighty nine, ninety. Um, my man Earl was uh, some kind of employee at Def Jam, and Earl stayed in clubs, and Earl liked to drink. So mm. Earl would constantly ask me for drink tickets, and we realized we could come to some sort of uh, bartering situation. I'd give him drink tickets, and he, he'd give me records from Def Jam. Mm. So he, he said, come down to Jeff, Def Jam uh, this Friday. Actually, he's probably come down to Jeff, Def Jam tomorrow because the club I was at was, was MK, and I used to do a, a party called Superfly on Thursdays. Mm. So it was a summer, and I'm walking down, I'm walking downtown. I lived on 14th Street. And Second Avenue. I lived at Moby on 14th Street. The Moby. The Moby. Moby and I were were really? roommates. Yeah, because he uh, he had moved to New York City from Connecticut, and was DJing at Mars. And we were both playing at Mars. And he asked me, he's like, "Yeah, I need a roommate. You want to?" I was like, "Yeah, I need a new place. Let's let's do it." Um, and uh, so I'm walking down from 14th Street and Second Avenue down to Elizabeth Street, where uh, the Def Jam and Rush offices were. And I bump into my homegirl, uh, Nadia. She's a, a British, a young British woman who um, worked at Nell's, mm. another ridiculously legendary right spot. Yep, yep. And she asked me what I was doing. I said, oh, I'm going down, I'm going down to, to Def Jam. Um, she said, oh, you've, you're going to Def Jam? Oh, I have the biggest crush on Robert Garcia, mm. a.k.a. Bobito, right? It's like, oh, really? Okay. Uh, uh, good to know. I don't really, really care about who your crushes yeah, sure, are, but sure. uh, <laughs> at least the I know the name the of, someone, me? of someone at Def Jam. Maybe she wanted me to put in a good word, but I didn't know I didn't know this Robert Garcia. So I walked to Def Jam, and it was crazy because, you know, this is this is 1990, right? So now it's not, it's not 80s Def Jam, but Def Jam still means a lot in 1990, right? Public Enemy is still still happening, right? It's like you got, um, well, I guess Nice and Smooth and EPMD were about to come out on Def Jam, but all the artists that meant something in the 80s were still still meant something, right? Slick Rick, uh, Public Enemy, um, uh, Beastie Boys weren't there anymore. Uh, help me out here. Uh, LL. How, did I, how could I not say LL? <laughs> exactly. Redman, no? Redman was about to happen, but yeah, that, that's that's the core. P E L L. That's like that's really and and Slick Rick. Um, third base. Mm-hmm. Get the gas face. I, I know the other artists and and people can be like, this guy's a DJ. How, how come like, he's not <laughs> sp- spitting off the top of his head like all the artists on Def Jam? So um, you know, it's a little confusing because Rush Associated Labels is sure, about to happen. Sure. Um, which of course is Onyx, uh, nice and smooth. Yep. Um, 
I think EPMD were on, it's confusing. Some records came out on Def Jam. Some EPMD records had a Def Jam logo. Some had a, did some have an REO logo? I don't know. I'm a little bit confused. Anyway, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm all over the place here. I'm, I'm walking down to Def Jam and I get there. And like I said, Def Jam is still like, you know, that's they're like the New York Yankees sure, of, of exactly. hip hop, right? So I walk in and, and oddly the, the front door is open. There's no receptionist. I walk by the reception area. I'm looking into some offices and I'm kind of taken aback by how little activity there is at Def Jam, which you would think uh, would be just bustling with people doing the things that, you know, a really poppin' record label would have to do. Um, and it's gotten to the point where, like, I don't even, it's, I don't know what's going on. Like, there's nobody here. Now, maybe it was because it was a Friday and being a part of a record label meant going to nightclubs. So maybe everybody was out the night before. I don't know. But I stick my head in the conference room and there's a Puerto Rican brother, a Latino brother. I assume he's Puerto Rican because this is New York City, and and um, maybe I was. Uh, <laughs> why wouldn't he be Dominican? Well, he looked Puerto Rican to me at the time, sure. for whatever that means. Um, and uh, and I knew Earl wasn't there, so I was like, oh, I, I, you know, I was asked to say hi to this guy Robert Garcia. So I asked this guy, hey, is there a Robert Garcia here? And he said, that's me. I was like, oh, hey, what's up? I'm friends with, uh, with uh, Nadia from Nels and, and whatnot. And, and, of course, he recognized me from DJing in Mars and MK. Mm. So he's like, oh, yo, you're, 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 that, you're the DJ, right? Now, I wasn't stretched yet because I wasn't on the radio yet. But Bob and I met. I introduced myself. And uh, we just started talking that day. Um, and I think that day we ended up hanging out for a few hours. We like took a walk. Of course, we went to Ben and Jerry's where there was these two girls, one that I was dating, and they were both really fine. And later, Bob confessed that the reason why he wanted to keep hanging out with me was because yeah, these I, girls. I knew some, I knew these really good-looking girls. <laughs> um, but we hung out the next day, and then you know, within within a few weeks, I think we decided to be roommates. And really, and Bob, Bob, along with Nick Quested, the the who became a, a hot uh, hip-hop video director in the 90s and the executive producer of our our documentary. Now he's a, uh, a film producer. Um, the three of us lived together in 1990. Um, and within that, within that time frame, by virtue of me being a very persistent uh, Columbia University student, I got a shot at at being on the radio there and I asked Bob to do the show with me. But that show popped off within, I think within like four months of us being friends. Mm. It just kind of all came together, living together, doing a radio show together, becoming really good friends. But how did you even get the artist to come up? Like, meaning like, just just because you had a radio show doesn't mean that, you know, you would have Right, especially a show that's at one in the morning, yeah, right? Like, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, there was a, you know, like I said, the, the, the you know, you had people in, in record labels going out a lot. So there was a synergy between nightclubs and record labels. Also, all the record, the record labels were downtown. The clubs were downtown. Um, the DJs were downtown. So there was this kind of um, natural uh, communication and, uh, you know, between uh, nightclub personalities um, with and a, a lot of the people that went to clubs were 
aspiring artists. Mm. Um, so as a club DJ, I would meet artists. You know, I'd see the Jungle Brothers in the club. I'd see Ultra Magnetic in the club. Um, I'd see other DJs in the club. And other DJs that may have been older, you know, were from neighborhoods where where artists came from, right? Um, I mean, Kaz, Grandmaster Kaz from Cold Crush sure. and, and KG used to used to get on the mic at parties that I would do early. So, and they knew everybody. So, um, so that was one, one element. Now the other thing was that Bob worked at Def Jam mm. and Bob as a Def Jam employee, well, what did he do? He was in charge of, uh, mix show and club promotions. So Bob knew radio DJs from across the country and would promote our show to those shows and so really quickly on um well sorry he would also promote our show to other promoters at record labels so that got our show known at other labels um and you know really early on we we had incredible guests i mean the first show we had uh we had the jungle brothers and lati that was our first show Mm -hmm. second show we had um, third base and two kings in a cipher. Mm, two mm. kings in a cipher are who? Has mm, mm. D dot? Yeah, the mad rapper. D dot Angeletti, well, um, as the, well as the legendary. Um, we had D dot on. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, again, my my memory is just terrible. But um, who's the other hitman that was that was that that was in two King, two kings in a cipher? Oh my god, Amon Ra. Yeah, okay. You know, so so yeah, so we hit the ground running. We had we had great guests from from day one, but that was largely because Bob was in the industry, and that was because I was in nightclubs. What about did you did was it like a, a rule that people had to spit, you know, or or they just wanted to spit? No, no there was it, there, there it, was some it, legendary shit on yeah, it. Yeah, it, it, it it wasn't a rule, but like we weren't, you know, early on we would do interviews with people, but like within a few weeks we realized like you know, interviewing people is just so boring, like. <laughs> I mean, interviewing rappers is boring because no, I think because no, no, rappers not. back then it's like rappers were the 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 best thing a rapper would do is rap sure. and not really give great interviews. Now you know people have gotten smarter and are more more media savvy, but back then you know you don't want to hear a rapper be like you know I'm saying, no I'm saying, no I'm saying, no I'm saying, no I'm saying. No, no, we want to hear you spit. Um, so we we click quickly threw away the whole interview blueprint. Yeah, we we were also trying to you know differentiate our show from other shows. Especially we felt if if someone was going to give us their time and stay up from one to five in the morning, we needed to give them a unique experience. And sure, and, sure. and interviewing a rapper was just not going to cut it. It was getting them to to give us a performance that was unique and exciting. Keep keep the the listeners awake and let them you know walk to school or you know go to work the next day with a with a recording that you know of something that that didn't happen anywhere anywhere else now uh big l came out there right at, at least five or six times and, and, and how was that man big i mean l did was, you realize like, big l was like you know he was like the you know he was our our station was in harlem he was like the mayor of harlem so L could come through any any time, and he and spit forever. He would too. Kill it every time he did. He didn't have to call; he could just show up. He mm-hmm. was the one artist. Actually, there were a few artists that, that didn't need to be invited or didn't need to, 
need to be on the guest list. He was one of them. Mm-hmm. What he, about he brought Jay Z up the first time? Really? Yeah. yeah. First time Jay Z was on the radio was was on our show, and it was really because Al brought him up. Really? Yeah. And and, and he spit too. He did. Yeah. Did you did you see like did you at that time? I mean, you know, some people could say like, you know what? I see. Uh, this 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 guy got something. Did you see that? Well, it's or funny. No? It's funny. First of all, the the big L Jay Z, you know, famous uh, freestyle, which you know is just a part of hip hop lore at this point. Um, it wasn't a battle. Uh, people call it a battle, and and I think I think there's this trend where people want to. Uh, to to depict it as a bo- as a bo- as a battle and then say that they you know they're, they're riding for L as if that would give them more authenticity as sure. someone that that it seems to be down with the underground um, at the time I feel like L's lyrics were easier to digest they were a little bit little simpler than what Jay was doing and that's not to diminish what L was doing at all because I think L his style and his delivery, his pronunciation, everything, his the, the his cadences, his rhythm was just ridiculous. And I think at the time probably appealed to more people than what Jay was doing, which was a little bit. He was doing a lot of that triplet stuff and mm-hmm. and trying to be a little bit fancier. Um, maybe it's because back then I wasn't as focused on lyrics as I was beats and flow. But years later. I mean, even even like when we were doing the documentary, like listening to what Jay was doing back then, like it's like I really kind of kicked myself thinking like like you, my man, like you really slept on what Jay was doing back then. It went over my head back then, mm. and um, if you listen to what what he did back then, now I mean, like, compare it to what what the finest lyricists out now are doing and. It's as good as what anybody's doing. He um, he killed it, and I think I'm only saying that because everyone would always say L L got him, L got him, and I don't think anybody got anybody. I just think that Jay Jay deserves his props as sure. a sure. as a lyricist back then, killing it. Mm. You know, it's amazing how you uh, you know we met Bob, and then you know, talk about the radio show, and and, and that your friends this goddamn long. You know, uh, that's honestly special to we're, see. We're man. family. Yeah, Bottom no friends. Family. Friends become yeah. family. Yeah. You know, listen, stretch. You traveled the fucking world for DJing. You know, doing what you love. Think about it. You must have. You 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 went on those turntables as a young kid. I'm sure you didn't really know what the fuck you were doing in the beginning, trying to learn how to DJ. Yeah. No. I mean, I, I listen. I'm I'm relatively smart. And I was able to 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 figure it out when there was no one to mentor me. I had to sort of mentor myself and just go out and study DJs and listen to the radio and study DJs. Um, but uh, yeah, I always sort of knew where I fit in. I knew what what I was capable of doing. That's why you never saw me get on turntables and start cutting like a maniac because we've seen those kids do that and sure. play themselves. Like, no, nah, you're not ready for that. Um, and uh but yeah i mean i'm 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 lucky as hell i've 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 made a living doing different things but but fundamentally by playing music i love sure sure which is around the world sure you know you you were saying uh 
I think this is before we started. You were saying you went to Japan, what, 28 times, you said? I've been to Japan 28 times. That's God, right. fuck, where else? Where you, you was in... I mean, I've been to Australia. I've been all over Europe. I haven't been to Eastern Europe that much. Um, yeah, how many passports have you had throughout this time? A lot of stamps? A lot of... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, a lot of stamps. Stamps. <laughs> um, been, you know, <laughs> Canada, uh, South America, Central America. Um, I haven't been to, I haven't been around Africa that much. I've only been to uh, places in, in Northern Africa, but I haven't been to, still haven't been to South Africa. I still haven't been to South America other than, other than, uh, what is it? Um, Colombia. Yeah. You so, know, some places I want to go. Book me. I want to, I haven't been to Brazil. Mm. Interesting. Book, book that man. You know, you, you you think about it when hip hop is a puzzle, and uh, you're definitely a, a piece of the puzzle. And uh, you know, growing up, it's like funny because it's like, you know, even though we don't know each other that long, um, you know, I could just tell the uh, passion, the purity of uh, you know how you are. Like you, you're not somebody ever faking the funk. You know, especially being white and loving hip hop. You know, when you were young, did, did anybody try to call you like a wigger or? Or, or, no, because I've never acted like a wigger. Yeah. Or, or, right. or try to tell you like you were acting. I, I say that sometimes because even being Italian, I mean, I'm white, but even being Italian, I remember like people, I always say this and I'll say this uh, with you. When I went to my barber, I was like, yo, put three cuts on my eyebrow. Trying to wild out? And, yeah. And you know what he told me? <laughs> and you know what the barber told me? What? What are you trying to be black? Yeah. And I said, no, I'm trying to be like Kane. <laughs> and, and, you know, I think about how stupid some, you know, like people around you when you grew up, you know, uh, were thinking. That's why I asked that. You yeah, know? I mean, I, I, n- I never grew up, I didn't grow up in an, in an environment where I would get that because I grew up on the edge of Spanish Harlem. I went to school with, uh, I went to school with black kids, uh, Latino kids, Asian kids, sure, uh, Filipino yeah. kids. So the the idea of trying to be... Uh, something that you weren't just wasn't something that I was even aware that people did until I got older. Sure. Um, uh, I would say as an adult, a young adult into hip hop, like dur- my, during my tenure in the radio, I think once um, uh, it got back to me that another producer who I'm friends with to this day, um, he never knew, he never knew that, um, that I knew he said this about me, but when he was younger and maybe, um, jealous of my role in the radio um in sort of as a as a gatekeeper someone who sort of had a hand in guiding culture he dismissed me as 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 a rich white kid from the upper east side mm. um so that's that's what what our, that, that was the criticism i heard it wasn't it wasn't i mean and fine I, I, even though even though i wasn't a rich kid look comparatively like yeah i'm, I'm i grew up privileged um you know i i went to private school uh went on vacations that's rich you know even if even if you know my dad's not banking millions of dollars that's still rich um so um so i'll take that um i uh but you know i know just for myself that you you can't diminish the the hours i put in the work i put in the the authenticity that that I adhered to in terms of, uh, you know, championing music that, that resonated with me that I felt was important. Um, that's never changed. Um, and that's never been, um, that's never been disputed by anybody, at least not to my face. Yeah. Um, and, uh, 
Yeah, yeah, in terms of um Yeah, no, I think I think I've addressed that. Yeah. Yeah. How long has your hair been gray, Stretch? I feel like uh, he's been gray for like, when did it get gray? When you were like fucking 30 years old? I started seeing gray hairs popping out probably when I was like 25, 26. Yep. <laughs> started in the 90s. You know, uh, as we wind this episode down, man, I mean, your journey is definitely special, man. And I'm glad that uh, you're here, you know, going over the journey. But uh, one thing I never understood is, uh, you know, you get these uh, EDM DJs and uh, you got like, uh, Tiesto and um, the guy Marshmallow and uh, you keep on going on Zed and uh, you know whatever you can keep on going on and some of these guys you know uh, make a hundred million two hundred million a year you know twenty three million fifty eight million why why is that in you know in, in I mean I just don't understand I'm asking it's like why is that why isn't hip hop like that you know, why isn't, uh, you know, house music, well, house music is a little, you know, on the curve, or you would say, you know, not an EDM, but, you know, it's just well, some similarities. Well, okay, so um, mainstream hip-hop artists who, in my opinion, have very little to do with hip-hop, but it's called hip-hop, um, they're making that kind of money, right? Yeah. And EDM is the... EDM is the it's the dance music equivalent of of that. Um, it's just it's just that the performers are DJs, right? Um, uh, it, it'd be as if you know you were a you made a, a, a trap record, an electronic trap record um, that was really popular, crossed over, had radio hits, and. Um, you know, you had a bunch of a bunch of rappers on it, but you went out there and performed it without the rappers. You got the money. You you would want to you know showed up to the festival and you had a light show and and you know flames coming out of the stage. But and 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 you know there there have been some people that have tried to do that, but that that's really only worked in the in the dance music realm. But you know you've got these huge records that have singers on them, but. At the at the festivals and, and the big clubs, the singer's not showing up. It's the DJ that's showing up, um, which is kind of interesting. You know, they've been able to keep keep the money in the uh, in the DJ's pockets, um, mm. but it's just a different model. And uh, and but I but I think to say that that there's no equivalent in hip hop. I think you know maybe you know the big hip hop contemporary hip hop acts like uh, Migos and. And I, I can't even tell you what you know, little this and little that. They're probably making a lot of money doing shows. I'd imagine they're they're doing big shows and getting yeah, sure. getting a lot of money. And I don't know if you know they're getting less than the EDM shows are are getting. I don't know. Um, but um, um, I'm talking about this like I'm an expert in it anyway. And That's I'm, all good. It's and just I'm, I'm not your opinion. I'm not. But um, but it would be cool to see. Uh, more hip hop DJs, you know, getting booked on those big stages and making sure. money. Sure, why not even crossing over? I mean, you put put a Kid Capri or a, or yeah. a Premier sure. on on the main stage, you know, with a with an impressive light show, and yeah. you know, they're gonna be sick. they're gonna kill it. That would be sick. I like to see more of that. You know, uh, it's funny when when you sit and you think about uh, your journey. You know, and and all you've been, you traveled the world. Your kid from New York City traveled the world, kind of basically 
to have done what you love for 30 plus years. You know, uh, is there anything else like left that you have? Like, meaning, like, is there, <laughs> well, you know, is there more on the bucket list? Um, I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, DJing has been this constant, but, uh, you know, I've done things that I didn't expect I'd be doing. And, and, you know, you really don't know what's next. Um, I just know that, that, uh, you know, I've got, I've been blessed to have a platform and to have been able to kind of pick and choose what I want to do. Um, and I think, I think the opportunity to do anything that I want to do is there as long as, as long as it's something that, um, that excites me because mm. I've only been able to do things that, that are interesting and that kind of, you know, f- feed my passion. I've never been able to fake it and do something that I wasn't into. Um, and at times have, you know, experienced a little bit of, uh, you know, career suicide. Mm. I've done, you know, done really? that a few times. Oh, sure. Yeah. 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 Uh, you, have, you, you haven't noticed. That. You haven't noticed. But, um, uh, but you know, if if uh, if you want to just take it back to the podcast that Bobito and I are doing on NPR, which is called What's Good with Stretch and mm-hmm. Bobito, make sure um, you check it out. You know, we we're really enjoying our who's season two. Uh, thus far, we've had uh, Erica Badu, mm-hmm. Lenny Kravitz, mm-hmm. and Rakim. God damn! Last week we had someone who you maybe consider more of a discovery because we want to, you know, um, s- similar to how in the nineties we we introduced the world to a bunch of MCs that they had never heard of. We felt it was important to, to have, um, our podcast peppered with personalities that, that you might know, but you might not know. So sure. the last, uh, guest we had is a, a man named Edgardo Miranda Rodriguez. Um, mm. he's a, um, a graphic, a, a, a graphic novel, uh, author, activist, um, um, and I, I wouldn't even do justice talking about, about what he shared with us, but internet's got to check that episode. Exactly. Out. But, you know, Bob and I, you know, we envisioned, you know, being with NPR, you know, for the next 20 years and, and kind of really? making that be kind of like the, the sort of the, the, you know, the anchor to our careers because mm-hmm. it's, it's just really exciting. You know, you know, you, you, you are an interviewer, you talk to people, this is what you do, right? And, uh, and uh, you know, you were telling me earlier how, you know, it's not just about hip-hop. It's about entrepreneurs and athletes and whatnot. And that's really what our show is about. It's about um, about talking to people you might know, talking to people you should know, but more than anything else, eliciting um, uh, stories and narratives that, that you've never heard before. Sure. And I think for, for the hip-hop core – Listen to our Rakim interview because we got an interview from him that's unlike anything you've ever heard from Rakim. I mm-hmm. promise. Mm-hmm. Make sure you put it on your to-do list. You know, I, I love that you and uh, you and Bob uh, are, are back at it, and uh, you know, you guys contributed so much. And uh, you know, it's only it, it's it's important to continue to be celebrated, but more importantly, it, it, it's even greater to be continue to do what you're doing. You know, like you think about it, some people say, "Oh, they did." You know, we have a short span in hip hop. You know, where people are like, oh, that was great what they did, and you know, they don't want to remember them. Right, sure, know? sure, sure. Well, I, that's why you know, uh, we get um, Bob and I get thanked uh, daily for you know everything we've done for the culture, and it's a uh, it's a well intended sentiment, 
um, I would say, you know, we didn't really we didn't do it for the culture. Mm. We did it for fun. Yeah. <laughs> hey, listen. But um, but no, listen. We we having integrity has meant uh, the world to me and Bob. Um, more, it's, been, it's meant more than than uh, than a check. Um, um, but the other word that I don't like is uh, it's not that I don't like it because again I appreciate the sentiment, but. Uh, the word legend. Mm-hmm. We oh, started off. We like get that, that a lot. I know we get that a lot. And um, I don't know that. I don't know if if we are legends. I'm not sure. I don't think. I don't think we're old enough to be legends yet. I think that's something that that history um, will decide. Um, but that's why we wanted to tell our story through through the documentary. Through a documentary, yeah. exactly. Well, well, first off, stretch. Let me tell you this. Okay. <laughs> let me let me fucking tell you this. Again, hip hop is a puzzle. And when it's all said and done, and you're not here no more, there's a piece of a puzzle with Stretch Armstrong on it. Yeah, yeah. Well, that uh, that that, and, and I don't, I don't, I would dispute that. That's, yeah. um, I just, um, yeah. I know when what you're I'm saying. Gone, yeah, I know. I'm a legend. I know you then, but uh, but it's also because we got work to do, right? We yeah. Still, sure. We're still, still doing out stuff. Here. You're still out. We're here. active. Still, still DJing. We're you active. Know, I'm you know. telling you, young kids. <laughs> Stretch, stretch, oh, I, I love your personality, man. Um, you know, somebody's listening right now, a young DJ, uh, somebody who, uh, you know, maybe hung it up, was thinking of coming back. Whoever, so, somebody just trying to figure out to do what they love, but more important, like you just said, to have fucking fun. You know, what's some uh, words of advice you would give them? Yeah, I mean, I think um, you have to decide... Uh, I think it's like like anything in the creative realm. You have to know what your reason is for doing something. Mm. Now, there are a lot of legitimate reasons for wanting to DJ. It could be because you want to get girls. It could be because you want to make money. Cause, it could be because you want to be famous. Now, I'm not saying that those are all great reasons, but they're all legitimate reasons, and they're, and those are some of the things that people actually – become try to become a dj for but if you don't know what you're trying to do it if, if, you, don't, if you don't know the reason why you're doing it then you're going to get really confused right um i got into djing because i love music and i think i have i think i've always had um this sort of natural gift to find music that was great that people didn't know about and I would get so excited about it that I wanted to share it with other people. And that was really fundamentally why that was one of the reasons why I wanted to DJ. The other reason was because I, I, I felt like I knew how to tell stories through, through records. Mm. Um, now if you're a great, if you're really good at, at making music and you feel like you want to DJ because you just, you're, you've convinced yourself that you know how to make records that are going to, that are going to resonate with people. That's a great reason to do it as well. Um, but you got to know what you're trying to do because that, then you understand what that journey, what that journey is. And you're able to sort of identify what the, uh, what the roadblocks might be, what the the challenges might be. Um, and then you won't be surprised when there are those challenges and, and, and then you'll be able to sort of figure out how to navigate them. Did you ever have any kids? uh, Did I ever have any I used to have them, but I, uh, I, I killed <laughs> them. Rid, I got rid of them. <laughs> yeah, I kind of miss them now. No, 
I'm saying that you one of them. One of the kids was kind of cool. I don't know why. Why I threw him away. Um, no, I, I I do not have any. kids. Is that a choice? Um, I ask because some people don't want to have kids, and they do. They don't want them, but they but they end up with them because it's because they they, yeah. they make bad choices. Yeah. Um, no, I uh, I uh, I haven't had kids. Yes, that's been a choice. Um, but I want kids. I do want kids, mm. and I'm going to have kids. Mm. Yeah. Little Maybe not kids. Maybe a kid. Okay. Maybe Start a kid. One. Hey, I, fuck I, around. I, fuck I, around. Guy like you will wait, wait this long and fucking pop out twins. Well, I, it's funny because twins are, uh, are a part of my family. Wow. Yeah, my grandmother had two siblings. They were twins. Um, I've got cousins that are twins, and my sister has two sets of twins. Mm. And this is without, without fertility, um, what do they call it, medicine, fertility, uh, drugs yeah yeah, yeah. yeah this is just natural natural twins um maybe maybe have one biological kid and one adopted kid mm-hmm. i think there are a lot of kids that need homes um mm-hmm. so um uh yeah, yeah boom well, boom i like to see that listen stretch uh on instagram stretch armstrong that's right uh twitter you still fuck with twitter stretch army on mm-hmm. twitter love that one and yeah. uh you also uh, the book with Evan. It's uh... yeah. The book is called No Sleep, mm-hmm. uh, NYC Nightlife Flyers, nineteen eighty eight to nineteen ninety nine, and that is a visual history of nightclubbing in New York City as told through nightclub flyer artwork. There's also uh, it's also peppered with uh, um, quotes from various uh, people involved in the nightclub mm-hmm. scene from. Um, club owners to DJs to promoters to artists to uh, cool people that were just out and about. Plan to do any more? Any more books? Like not particularly maybe the same, um, but maybe yeah. um, maybe do a Stretch and Bob book. Actually, that would be dope. We have That'd a, be dope. A, I know you did a, a, a sock with uh, stance. That was dope. Yes. Well, a book would be a little more ambitious than a sock. <laughs> no, no. But I like socks. <laughs> I fucking... well, yes, socks are necessary. Um, books take a lot of work, but I think. Um, I think there's going to be a Stretch and Bob book. I think people would be into that. And we have a lot of assets for the book from, you know, I mean, just everything that we prepared for the film. A lot of that stuff that didn't make the film would be great for a book. You know, you, 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 as a, as a, we end this episode, I got a last thing for it's you. It's really hot in here. I know. I got, it got Damn. hot at the last fucking minute. I don't know what the Let's fuck happened. Let's wrap this up so yeah. I can get some, some AC. Some ice. Some AC. You know, uh, I leave this uh, on Twitter on at Stretch Army. I love uh, what you wrote, and we spoke about this before, but but not on on, on uh, Mike beforehand. Um, you wrote, "Sorry, Stretch, the brand decided to go with an influencer DJ instead." But <laughs> oh, you know what's man. dope about you? What? You're not like this like older guy that's like hating. You always just keep it like real. Well, th- that was that was presented without comment. Yeah, that was the quote. Yeah, I was up for. Um, a great gig that I was looking forward to because uh, it involved um, the other people that were booked, the uh, people that were doing the food, sure. the uh, the artists are people that I have a shared history with. So it was it just made sense that I was going to be a part of the night. Um, and uh, yeah, and I was told that they were going with an influencer DJ, and and they actually told me who the DJ was. So I I looked the DJ up and. It was what I expected. It was someone that has a really good-looking Instagram account with, like, great photographs. The person happens to be um, very attractive and sexy. <laughs> sexier than, than I am. Sexier than you. Um, 
But what didn't make sense to me was their their following was substantially less than mine, like half the following I have. So I don't really, I mean, I can't fault a brand for hiring a DJ personality because they have a big platform. Sure. And they're going to be able to amplify uh, the message of whatever that is. If it's uh, a, a clothing brand, they're going to get its publicity. Sure, sure. I get that. Mm-hmm. That's strategic. So you either hire a DJ that has, you know, perhaps a big following, but that can kill the party. That makes sense, you know, in terms of musical aesthetics. Or you hire someone that has a big following. This person had neither. They didn't have the the, the social platform that I had. And maybe they get busy. I didn't, I'd never heard of them before. It, but they're not making, they're not ringing bells. In, sure, they're in, not making in, noise. In, in DJ communities and, and music communities. Club communities, so it just um, it just irked me a bit, mm. um, and um, and I think um, yeah that that word influencer um, they should just say popular yeah popular yeah. on Instagram because yeah, sure. <laughs> because I don't know what they're influencing I'm, yeah. I think they're they're echoing things I don't think they're influencing or guiding or being or having sort of a, a like an editorial perspective. Mm. They're just popular. If they do make that union, uh, you could be the shop steward. You know? <laughs> Let me tell you, Internet. Listen, the one and only. The and I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it because he don't. He, you know, he don't like it, but I mean it in a professional way. The legendary Stretch Armstrong. Let me tell you something, man. What you and Bob did, uh, I'm forever thankful. Uh, I remember how much me and Combat used to talk. Rest in peace. About you know. Um, you know what you guys did was like uh you know a, like a podcast before a podcast. Yeah, so sure, sure, sure. You kind of opened the doors for a lot of lot of people to you know uh the the format the way it was was just like you guys weren't like you know radio professionals and you know you had a lot of knowledge and and but but it's kind of like what I see podcasting today you know and uh, so you know for people like you open up doors for people like uh, you know well combat has been around entertainment wise but meaning sure. to do well, to, listen to, one to, of the, talk, one yeah. of the greatest satisfactions about the radio show that me and Bob did was you know what the opportunities that that we gave other people whether it was directly through people that that came through our doors or or just the inspiration behind what we did it's mm. great great to know stretch listen thank you for, for uh, having uh, me by i hope yeah. to see twins in the uh on the instagram soon wow. you know and and uh you know put an influencer twin father <laughs> oh my gosh internet the legendary Stretch Armstrong. Peace, my brother. <laughs> Later, man. Thanks. Internets, if you enjoyed that episode, I want you to email me at thepremiumpeachshow at gmail.com. Again, that email is thepremiumpeachshow at gmail.com. Let me know what you thought. And listen, all my advertisers out there, all my big businesses, my small businesses, whoever, a friend, a store, you want to advertise on the Premium Peach Show? Email me at thepremiumpeachshow at gmail.com and let's get working. Okay, make sure you subscribe, rate, leave a comment on all streaming platforms or podcasts. Tell a friend to tell a friend, and we'll see you next episode. Cheer.